What's going on, guys? Happy Monday. This is your somewhat well, somewhat toxic, most of the time doing her best, connoisseur, bringing you another episode of Wellish. Today, we're going to be talking with Doctor of Veterinary Medicine, Elizabeth Dale, about the truth of what goes on inside the mind of a vet, or more realistically, the truth of what goes on inside the mind of somebody who's achieved their dream job while combating the intrusive thoughts that present themselves daily. From struggling through perfectionism and imposter syndrome to what it really takes to achieve your dream job to the mind-blowing ways some pet owners treat their pet and vet, Dr. Dale is a great example of how you can be absolutely great at what you do and still struggle through limiting beliefs and consistently work to overcome them. Liz, go ahead. Give me your whole lowdown. Okay, so I went to Virginia Tech, uh, received my Bachelor of Science in Animal and Poultry Sciences with an emphasis in lab, um, animal, and companion animal. Uh, Four years later from Virginia Tech, I graduated with Doctor of Veterinary Medicine, uh, and I now practice for one of the... Largest. Largest. General General veterinary practices. Uh, in America? Yeah. Okay. Wow, that makes me feel important. <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to talk to you about it because that is so cool. Did you not know that it was the I did largest? not. I knew, I knew we were big and I knew we were pretty much everywhere, but I didn't know we were Yeah, I know. Largest. I was like reading the about when I was like looking up where you work and stuff uh-huh. like that. And it was like, holy shit, that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. I didn't get the largest one. Well, can you break down exactly what it is you do for us? So... I'm basically, if you have a pet that gets sick, I'm their doctor. But unlike human doctors, we're a little bit of everything. Like I'm an anesthesiologist, I'm a pharmacist, I'm a radiologist, I'm a surgeon, I'm a general like family doctor practitioner. Like I do medication, surgeries, you know, physical exams, the whole nine yard. What does a day in the life kind of look like? So it depends. We have some days where I do mostly surgeries. So I like, you know, spay, neuter, mass removals, um, dentals. We're really big on dental cleanings because, you know, preventative medicine, if you, the more you do dental cleanings, the less like the, the dogs are going to like get dental disease and need their teeth to come out. It's really big in small dogs. And then other days I do wellness exams, sick visits. So, you know, ear infections right now, um, Bordetella and canine influenza is on a rampage through Charlotte, where actually Charlotte's one of the hot spots for um, this respiratory virus right now. Um, see a lot of those day by day. And then, you know, just your, you know, checkups with vaccines and um, just making sure all the animals are healthy and living their best life. Do you have any quotes or mantras that you live by? Fake it till you make it, honestly. <laughs> um, because we sometimes like I just don't know the answer and I just have to kind of put on a smile and you know kind of nod my head until I can run out into the computer and look up an answer on Venn or in my books so it's kind of like you know you got to fake it until you make it because we don't know everything (laughs) and uh so yeah I have to kind of smile and nod and fake it until I make it back to my computer so I can look up the answer. <laughs> so, um, If you could have, and this can be vet related or it can just be Liz related, mm-hmm. if you could have anything out of life that you wanted, what would it be? Honestly, I want to be able to save as many animals as possible. So when I was in vet school, I would volunteer for the shelters and I would always foster a dog that would either be, you know, deemed unadoptable or mean or you know just needed extra work that a shelter couldn't give it so I fell in love with kind of that like hobby of like taking dogs from being like absolutely just mean like scared dogs to lovable couch potatoes and like finding them a home and so I think like long term if I could eventually like open up kind of a rescue but if I could like do that the rest of my life and be able to save like at least one more and at least one more and then like you know keep going like at least one more um that probably fulfill my life's purpose that's awesome yeah when we first connected you told me that you talked about the connection between mental health and veterinary medicine because the Mm -hmm. suicide rates of vets are so high and you also told me that they're one of the most unrecognized would you agree with that yes okay Um, So I did a little digging around and found that it's more than twice than that of the medical profession and four times the rate of the general population. So it puts the statistic at one in six vets consider suicide uh, at least once in their career. So in your opinion, why do you think that's such an issue? 
I, I think there's a lot of different um, factors that go into it. One, we go in and we see, like, you know, death. Like, we see all these animals who, you know, it's the circle of life. Yeah, we understand that. But sometimes, you know, euthanasia is hard. Um, so that aspect of it of, you know, we go in because we love animals. And then we're seeing all these sick animals that, you know, we end up euthanizing, which euthanasia is a beautiful thing. Like, it's the best gift that you can give your animal um, is a peaceful crossing. And I think that helps with the sadness behind euthanasia, but it's still sad, you know. Like, an animal dying is always going to be sad. So that's one aspect of it. Another aspect of it is the clientele, like the pet owners, like, you know, a lot of them don't respect us as, you know, human beings. And it makes our jobs harder because we, you know, have the ability to help a lot of these animals. And then we have owners who are, you know, accusing us of being in it for the money or, you know, not letting us run diagnostics because it's not necessary. So we're then responsible to figure out what's wrong with this sick pet without being able to run diagnostics. And then like, you know, trying to cure this sick pet like we know we can without having all the answers which makes our job 10 times harder and it's already hard enough because like I said earlier we're an anesthesiologist we're radiologists we have to have so much knowledge and it's like a lot of pressure on us to be you know the best we can be like imposter syndrome in vet med so real because we graduate and I you know I graduated in May and I've been doing this now for a little bit and I still go in thinking, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I need a doctor. Can somebody get a doctor? And I'm like, whoa, wait, I'm the doctor. <laughs> and it's just hard because we have all of these, like, obstacles we have to, like, jump over to be the best we can be. And it feels like, you know, we just keep jumping over obstacles. And it doesn't seem like there's ever going to be an end of the obstacles jumping over. And it, like, really takes a toll on your mental health. Um, even vet school will take a toll on your mental health, like, Vet school was probably the worst four years of my life in um, in any type of school setting. Like, it was just terrible. Like, the school itself, the staffing, like, they weren't nice people. Um, I had a lot of good friends, but, like, we were all there to, you know, better ourselves, like, as a veterinary profession. So all the relationships were kind of superficial. So, you know, when things got hard, you know, people were like, well, I've got to, like, take care of myself, you know? Like, I can't be taking care of you, too. So it was, like, kind of like a, well, I've got to save myself here and keep going. So we didn't have, like, a lot of support. There's just a lot of things that contribute to and weigh on our mind. Well, that's interesting that you brought that up about the support from the school because something that I thought was super interesting like I said I was looking up your employer and like their Mm. whole website and reading through it it says that they believe it's equally important to support the health safety and well-being of their associates so do you feel like that's a topic that's openly discussed and managed between your employer and colleagues I believe for the most part yes Um, I believe that my company is really good about work-life balance Um, they you know offer days off, you know, four days a week, I'm pretty, you know, relaxed about, you know, if I wanted to take a day off to go do something. They do have, like, health and wellness resources. They have, um, like, mental health, like, advocates, and you can, you know, just log on to their little portal and, like, request mental health. Um, My boss is probably the best boss in the world. Like, I have never had a boss as great as him. Like, um, I got bit by a dog Friday, And he has called me every day, like, three times, like, trying to check in to see how I'm doing. And, I mean, it's vet mad you're going to get bit by a dog, but just, you know, having a boss that's, like, going an extra mile and, like, caring. It's, like, it's, like, actually really good for my mental health because I feel like I'm cared about and welcome. Not Um, alone. Makes sense. Yeah, not alone. So I would say, like, you know, my company specifically, I, I can't speak for others, but I think they do a pretty good job of, you know, taking care of their veterinarians. Cool. Sweet. Do you have a support system outside of work? Yes. um, As much as, you know, a veterinarian can. Like, you know, know, my boyfriend, my family, they're not in vet medicine, so it's hard to go and be like, this is why I'm upset today. Like, you know, I had this, this, and this case, and this owner didn't want to do diagnostics, this owner didn't want treatment, blah, blah, blah. And they can't really – they can understand, you know, like – the broad picture of why I'm sad but they can't really understand like why I'm so sad about it because they don't really know how you know 
veterinary medicine works. They don't know the like treatments the, and how easily it could have been fixed. Um, so they're, they are a support system, but they can't be a, you know, full, like full on, like, oh, I understand what you're going through. Like, I know exactly how I feel is type deal, which is why friendships and vet school are so important to make because that is a good support system after you're done. Um, to be able to fall on the friends that you went to school with and be like, this is what happened today. Like, I can't believe, you know. And then they kind of are able to talk you through it better than your, you know, normal support mm-hmm. system. What do you do to support your own mental health? I like, you know, I like to pretend like I uh, go work out and, you know, kind of <laughs> take a break from vet med. Like, you know, I wish I could be a little bit better about once I clock out. I'm not a vet anymore. Like, and I, I try to say that, like, I have two friends at that I work with vet technicians that you know I'm close with and I'll talk to outside and I'm like when I clock out I'm not Dr. Dale anymore I'm I'm just Liz so I try to like put a balance so I need to I need to probably work harder on taking care of my mental health but also you know my boyfriend he's really good about like getting me out of the vet med like little bubble because we'll go to um I'm wearing a Gamecock sweatshirt right now and I mean go Hokies I'm like I'm not a Gamecock (laughs) but I mean he like gets me out and like takes me you know to football games for Carolina and Mm -hmm. I mean that's just like a new place for me a new experience and that's I think that's really awesome but our last game is Saturday so now I've got to like scramble to figure out what I'm (laughs) going to do yeah what do you think contributes the most between vets and deteriorating mental health honestly the way people treat their animals is really hard for us and I think personally for me I think that's what's really deteriorating my mental health is just day after day client after client is coming in and they get these pets and they don't really think about it they just think oh this is a cute dog I'm gonna get it because I want a cute dog um, but then they don't understand the cost that's associated with taking care of said dog. When you say cost, do you mean like actual physical money? Yes. And yeah, like the time too, like mm-hmm. the time that you have to put into a dog. Um, so they don't, I don't think they really take into consideration what happens after you get the dog. It's just, you know, they're looking at, oh, I'm getting a dog. And from that point on, they're not thinking what's going on. And so it's hard when I get a client with a new dog and you know they don't want to get their core shots they just want to get rabies and they don't want to you know put them on flea and tick prevention they don't want to put them on heartworm prevention because they think that we're just trying to sell them this pill to like up their bill when in reality you know I've diagnosed five heartworm positive dogs in the past two months and the treatment for that is just terrible there's no like for sure way that they might not die during the heartworm treatment so it's better to prevent it than treat it. So owners don't really like do their research and you know n- put in the time and effort to see how hard or like how much is involved in taking care of a pet appropriately. So it kind of you know wears me down when I just see day after day owners who just want the dog to have the dog and not put in the you know effort to take care of it, which is what my job is is to take care of your dog. So if you know, you're not taking care of your dog. You're making my job almost impossible because I can't take care of your dog. I've heard the same thing from teachers that like they're putting in all of this work at school, but then they go home and send the kid home and the parent isn't doing anything like reading with their kids or like if they're little, little kids, like helping their kids learn how to go to the bathroom. And then they're having these issues that they're trying to combat at school. It's kind of the same vibe that it's like you are who's supposed to be taking care of the pet 90 percent mm-hmm. of the time i'm just here as support for the low times but if you're not doing that work then how are you supposed to be able to help right. and then i assume people come in and are like what the hell why can't you fix yeah. my dog yeah and that's what they like i had a lady one time she was like you know she brought her dog in and it was eight weeks old and i was like you know we want to like Whenever you're just hanging out with your dog, play with its paws, put your fingers in its mouth, play with its teeth, look in its ears, you know, like put your hands on this dog, you know, so it gets used to being like handled. That way when it comes to the vet, it's not a stress. That way, you know, you're training it and, you know, work on sit, work on stay, work on these like basic commands that, you know, if you're just hanging out at your house, it's pretty easy. Just get a little handful of treats because a lot of dogs are food motivated and just teach it to sit, (laughs) teach it to sit. And people don't want to do that and then they bring it back when it's you know 
puppy with high energy and they're like, I'm going to have to get rid of this dog. Oh my God. And it's just, dogs aren't something you can just, you know. I will never understand those people. (laughs) They're just not something you can like take and just be like, oh, you're not doing what I want you to do. So I'm going to take you to a shelter. That's why like the dog shelters right now are overrun with, you know, homeless animals. And it's so sad because these dogs don't know any better. Mm -hmm. It's not like, you know, you can just look at them and say, you shouldn't be doing this because they don't know. They right. can't like that. That's why training is so important is because they don't know. And it's up to us to teach them. Mm-hmm. And when we fail to teach them that we failed this dog mm-hmm. and we've subjected it to ma- being homeless, which is like circles back to like why I like to foster dogs from the shelter who, you know, are deemed unadoptable and then get them adopted out. Um, I had a dog, um, when I was in vet school, I actually skipped my graduation to pull her out of the shelter because that was the only time they could do it. So I was like, all right, I'm going to just skip, you know, walking across the stage. I feel like that's a good reason to skip your <laughs> yeah. vet school yeah, graduation. Yeah, people, under, people understood. But um, she, the first time I met her, she was just cowering in the back of the um, cage. And she was, a, she was a hoarding dog. So somebody had 37 dogs. And she was one of the smaller ones, so she had to jump up on the counter of this one-bedroom apartment to get away from the bigger dogs. Holy shit. Um, And so they, you know, went in, seized the dogs, and she was the only one who was just terrified. And, like, I went to get her out, and she just tore me all to pieces. And I was like, yep, you're coming home with me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so after, I think it took a night, I think, and she saw that she wasn't in danger, um, she became the best little dog. Um, her name was Cricket, and someone adopted her. Someone adopted her in Silver Spring, Maryland, and they still send me videos of, and, you know, pictures of Cricket, and it just warms my heart. Like especially when I'm having a bad day. Like I don't know, her name was Liz too, and she like somehow knows when I'm having a bad day. She'll send me a picture of Cricket because <laughs> it just it like warms my heart. You know, those success stories against all the bad stories that I have right. to deal with every day. So that that's another thing that kind of helps my mental health is seeing all the dogs I have been able to save cool okay um so going back to the people how people kind of act like shit a lot of the time (laughs) um what do you think the biggest issue is with people who behave like this I don't think that they really understand um what vets are here to do so I don't really think they understand that we're here for your pet. We're not here for money at all, like <laughs> at all. Um, we're here to help you and help your pet. We want you and your pet to have the best relationship you can have. Um, and we we actually surprisingly know our shit when it comes to you know pet health. So when we're telling you you know spay or neuter your dog, we're not just doing that so we can get money out of you. We're telling you this because we don't want your dog to be you know prone to pyometra, which is infection of the uterus. We don't want your dog to be prone to breast cancer, you know, um, prostate cancer, all these like illnesses that are you know due to being intact, you know one of the biggest things emergency medicine sees is hit by car and you know Mm -hmm. the vast majority of hit by car dogs are intact because they're running around um trying to look for you know a mate um and that and you know shelters are overrun too but you know we're trying to help you help your pet and you're saying hit by car like that they're not being responsible with their dog yeah. And that's why that happens? Is that, like... they That can be... So, a lot of dogs will get loose and just run off. Or some people don't, like, keep their dogs contained. Um, it's really bad around where I live. People just let their dogs wander and roam. Um, and so, when you're letting your dogs wander and roam, they're going to wander and roam to try to find a mate. And then while they're doing that, they don't know that Oh, because you're saying if you're not getting them neutered and spayed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. So they're okay. like, you know, they're on the prowl for some, you know. Right. The, That's interesting yeah. that it's more likely that they'll get hit because they're doing that. They yeah, have those the instincts because yeah. they still have those hormones. Right. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. That's not something I would ever think of. Yeah. Especially, I mean, because, I mean, I never thought of before when we went to dinner and you told me about... Uh, I don't remember the name of the infection. The when you, Oh, pyometra? Yeah. Like, obviously, I would never have known that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, that to me seems more, like, tangible compared mm-hmm. to, like, something. You would never think of that. So, yeah. And people aren't putting in the research and effort to make sure that, that per, they're preventing their dog from 
Yeah. And like male dogs, like there, there's no reason that they need their testicles. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's absolutely no reason these guys need their testicles. I mean, unless you're like maintaining the breed standard and you're going all, all the right ways of like breeding, you know, responsibly. But a lot of people just, you know, they're like, I wouldn't want to, I don't want to do that to my boy. Like, I don't want to take his manhood. I'm like, stop personifying your dog. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't care about his testicles. Like, he'll probably, you know, feel better. So yeah, like, neutering the pros outweighs the cons, because your dog's definitely not going to lay in the corner and glare at you for taking his, like, manhood manhood away. (laughs) Like, your dog doesn't care. Um, He'll probably thank you in the long run when he doesn't have, like, the risk of prostatic cancer or the risk of, you know, a hernia. Well, what's funny, too, about it is that you are elongating your pet's life, and I know a lot of people do kind of do that selfishly. And so you would think that anything these people could do to make sure that their animal lives as long as possible, but they won't do that. Why? Because they don't want to pay for it, right? That's one of the reasons. Um, uh, another girl I had once, I was like, are you planning on breeding your dog? And she was like, no. And I was like, then I would recommend getting her spayed just because, you know, when you spay them before their first heat cycle, that like decreases the chance of like mammary cancer. You're running out of the risk of her getting um, pyometra. You know, you can walk her on walks without having to worry about intact dogs just like trying to like get to her, you know, like smelling her and being like, oh, wow. She completely cut out chances of her bleeding everywhere because she's Mm -hmm. on her, you know, heat cycle. Um, and she's like, but I don't want to hurt her. Oh my God. And I'm like, you're like, you I, are though. If you don't like, do it. I was like, okay, well, <sighs> pyometra hurts more and, <laughs> and cancer hurts more. And you know, there, there is a chance that your dog can live its life and not get any of these, you know, illnesses, but why risk it? Mm-hmm. Why risk it? So that's like a daily conversation that I have with people. I mean, it just breaks my heart. Like when people hear me quoting them for, you know, a dental extraction or something, and I know this tooth needs to come out, but they can't afford it. And it, it hurts me. Like, I don't I don't want to, you know, have to charge this much. But, we, you know, we have staff and we have like a, you know, a hospital and we have to charge so we can maintain that staff in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does. Like, it, it sucks. Like, it breaks my heart when, you know, people hear the price and I'm like, I can't afford that. Um so just leave the tooth in and I'm like well now this dog's gonna be in pain like yeah it sucks what do you think needs to happen in order for these people's behavior to change um I think they need to understand that we are humans and not just you know somebody driving a Mercedes getting out of their car going into work to get a fat paycheck and leave um we are humans that have a really big heart for animals and um we actually do have feelings and we you know just want to be trusted with your pet and we want to be able to do the most we can for your pet so just let us like I wish you know more people when they do get a pet would start a savings account for their pet like you know every week put in five dollars in the savings that's account that's a great idea um and then if anything ever happens like your dog swallows a foreign body or you know gets a stone and gets blocked you have some money to fall back on that way you're not stuck with the hard decision of do i euthanize or can i treat this dog um, because we do see a lot of that of dogs that could be treated if the owner had money and then you know the owner can't afford treatment so we have to euthanize because there's no other yeah. options which tears me apart Mm -hmm. that's why it's so hard like working for a corporate vet clinic versus you know a privately owned vet clinic because when I did work for a privately owned pet clinic the you know you have more freedom so you can be like okay well you can do a payment plan but corporate doesn't have that ability because you know a lot of people will abuse that so if Mm -hmm. we were like hey we'll let you do a payment plan they just won't pay it Mm -hmm. which hurts for other people so we just had to get rid of it which sucks but but that's corporate but that's corporate right speaking of that i mean you said how you do this because of your love for animals Mm -hmm. so how do you separate your emotions and having to do things like euthanizations or just when bad things happen to pets um i'm still working on it when i am doing euthanasia i kind of have to like 
talk my like coach myself basically before I go in the room I'm like okay this is what's best this dog's old you're you know peaceful letting it peacefully pass um you're giving it a gift that you know many dogs don't get to get you know like all these dogs that die like you know quit or like tragic deaths like if they get hit by a car you know something like slow painful deaths like I'm able to give this dog that you know peaceful crossing or if an owner can't afford treatment that's what really hurts me but I am you know still thinking in my mind like okay you're giving this dog a peaceful passing um it's gonna be you know better place maybe um it's not gonna be suffering anymore and then there's no chance of in the future this dog's ever gonna have to be in pain again um and deal with this type of so I just kind of have to like kind of give myself a pep talk when I'm doing it just so I don't like go in a corner and cry for an mm-hmm. hour but then I still end up going in a corner and crying for Do an you? hour does yeah. that normally happen he, yeah um the older dogs who I'm just helping you know kind of peacefully pass those aren't as bad um it's the ones who I feel deep in my soul that I could help and treat if I was able to the, those are the ones that kind of get me that's mm-hmm. a that's one of the biggest things on yeah. my mental health is you know having the tools and the knowledge to fix it, but not being able to mm-hmm. is really rough. I think that it's almost comforting because like just as a pet owner who does very much love animals <laughs> and appreciates very much so what you are doing, I just think that every time I've brought one of my pets to have to be put down just because they're old, they had cancer, they had kidney failure, whatever the issue was that was bringing them to the end of their life. You want Mm. to put them out of their misery before they actually suffer and die. It's comforting to know that I'm not just handing them over to a person that's like, all right, put the shot in, you're done, good to go, see you later. Because like that's almost, because I've only gone um, once to the actual vet to bring my pet Mm. and that's kind of what it felt like is that I just like handed them the carrier and was like, bye Jane. I love you. <laughs> See you yeah. later. Um, and so it's kind of good to know that like you're sending them back there with a person that actually like also feels that pain, even yeah. though you don't want to feel that pain. Yeah. But. And I mean, there are some older vets who've been doing this a while who are just numb. Like mm-hmm. when I was in high school, I worked for a vet who he was just numb. Like people had used him up like, you know, taken his niceness and ran ran with it, used him for everything they could get out of him. You know, he's seen everything you could see, and he was just numb to it, you know. And he I, he probably was kind of like that. You know, you go in for euthanasia, and he's like, all right, let's get it done. But I am a firm believer that animals can, like, sense energies. And so mm-hmm. animals know, like, when people really care about them. I think that's why I'm so good with, you know, dogs that can't find homes because they trust me a lot quicker than they trust a lot of people. I think it's just because they know energies and they know you're not a bad guy. Um, So, like, that also, like, makes me feel a little bit better because I feel like dogs know that I actually care about them Mm -hmm. when it's their time to go. So they're kind of, like, at peace. You know, I don't stress them out. I don't, you know, I'm fear-free certified, so I have – did all the like studying to you know kind of know how to do everything in the least stressful way possible so you know um we put a catheter in them and we asked the owners to stay with them you know like let us put a catheter in them kind of you know they've had i'm sure surgeries before so they'll probably think you know i'm just gonna fall asleep and wake back up if they even do think like that um but you know the owner staying with them and then having somebody with like good energy around them like you know this person actually cares about me. They're not scared, um, which is very important to me, at least, to make mm-hmm. them as comfortable as possible. So they're pa- like their passing is peaceful, and it's you know they're just falling asleep. I've heard that, and that was something that I didn't hear until like not that long ago that you should stay with your pet mm-hmm. when they're being put down. Which, oh my god, like I can't. Yeah. I haven't been in that position yet, and I can't even imagine what that like that's why I say like I haven't been to the vet I've only Mm -hmm. I've been to the vet one time and gave the vet the carrier and when she left but like I'm talking about so I have my two pets now but like all my pets growing up my parents always just took like there was no way in hell that I was even going in the car to the vet with them I can't even imagine Mm -hmm. having to go in the room with them but I can't also imagine just leaving them there by themselves yeah and you know, if owners are like, I can't do this, 
I at least, because we sedate them first and then we push the euthanasia solution, um, I'm like, can you at least stay until they're sedated? So mm-hmm. we'll just, you know, put them under, you know, some sedation. They fall asleep. They're not passed away yet, but they are asleep. So if you do leave, they're not going to know you leave. Um, but if an owner absolutely just cannot do it, then I try my best to make it, you know, a peaceful passing. Like I'll wrap them up in a blanket. We'll go in a room. You know, I'll pet them. You know, I'll have a technician. This is <laughs> my technicians always know with me it's going to be a process of euthanasia. They're like, well, it's going to take forever because, you know, Liz has all these, like, things she has to do. Like <laughs> I'll feed them chocolate. I'll go to the vending machine and get them jerky. Just like, you know, their last moments are not – miserable i did that too i like gave my cats tuna (laughs) yeah (laughs) like it's just if yeah so if an owner can't stay like i try to still make you know the last moments good Mm -hmm. so you know i'll pet them i'll you know sweet talk them and and kind of make sure they're not alone right But, but i understand like you know some people this is their baby and it's hard to see them go so right i'm not gonna hold it against anybody if they can't stay but if you can stay, please stay. And um, I had to euthanize my horse a couple years ago. And I, back to the energy thing, I definitely think animals can read energy. So I like held it in and I was like, you know, we're just going to go get a shot. We're not, you know, nothing's happening. And so I like held, held it together, kept my cool, acted like nothing was wrong. Um, and then once he was sedated, I just like broke out in tears and was just a mess. And I, like, wanted to hold it together because I didn't want him to be stressed out because animals really do, you know, read your energy. And if mm-hmm. you're stressed, and then they're stressed. For sure. Um, so that's, like, but that's a whole other, like, talent that you have to master, just, you know, holding it together and not letting your animals in on, you know, your stress levels. Right. How do these scenarios kind of shift your perception of your career? Honestly, it makes me feel important in a way, like – being able to allow an animal to peacefully pass. But, you know, that's the euthanasia aspect of it. Um, And, you know, like, the clients who do care about their animals, you know, make me feel important too, Mm -hmm. which, you know, is a good feeling. Like, they make me feel like, you know, I'm actually needed. Right. Whereas the clients... Which you are. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas the clients who think I'm just, you know, in it for the money makes me feel not needed. Like, I'm kind of just a mean person right which sucks (laughs) yeah do you would you say you ever question your choice in career absolutely um really yes so I actually question if I'm gonna be able to do this the rest of my life interesting based off of just you know how many people don't care for their animals um and it's really hard so I'm you know, there are people out there who would do anything for their animals, and those are my favorite type of people because th- that's great. It's amazing. Um, you're doing exactly what you need to be doing, but the there's a lot that don't. And so every day that I go in and I'm getting, like, people who don't want flea and tick prevention and they come back with Lyme disease or the dog has chronic allergies but they don't want to do anything for the allergies, they just try Zyrtec at home. Um that's obviously not working that every single day is it's wearing me down and I'm hoping you know as the years go by and more and more education gets out there and you know the more I can help educate people it'll get better um I'm not hopeful but the optimism side of it I hope it does happen but I don't think I can do this the rest of my life because it's so you know deteriorating to my mental health Mm -hmm. it's just it's hard you know when you if you know you see somebody tied up and you have a pair of scissors like you know you can go cut that rope and save them but there's just one thing blocking you and you can't get over there to cut that rope it's kind of like how I feel Mm -hmm. sometimes like I can't help these patients even though I have the scissors to go cut the rope but I can't because there's that one obstacle okay so shifting gears here just like a little bit lighter (laughs) um why tell me why you became a vet I know you love animals but is there like a deeper underlying reason like a moment that you were like you know what this is what I'm going to do for a career I volunteered for a rescue when I was in middle school um it was irresistible animal rescue there I don't think they're in business anymore but a dog came from a home that had like bubble gum in her hair her hips were disfigured um she was just kind of abused um and she was scared of everybody except for me and it made me feel really special so I was the one who got to do all of her like 
you know, medication administration, like got to walk her, took her to, you know, a pool so she could like do physical therapy and she just only trusted me. And that I wanted to be a vet before that, but that kind of like solidified the, oh my gosh, I could actually do this. Like, I actually think I could like help animals. Mm -hmm. And it was more so like animal rescues, I think are the reason I got into vet med because, you know, helping animals helping animals I want to help animals <laughs> um but like it was just all my life like I just didn't know anything different like what else would I be you know like I couldn't see myself doing anything else like right I'm I guess I'm pretty smart so like and you have to be smart to be a vet so I guess I could do this kind of mentality so doing everything for her kind of like opened my love of being able to you know treat things like you know I have the power to help you heal mm-hmm. um and I mean, I'm not trying to be like, yo, I'm Jesus, I can heal people. But, like, um, I have, like, you know, the ability to help animals because, you know, I can stomach, you know, cutting something open or um, taking something out. Then I almost, like, switched careers and went into, you know, nursing and then being a human doctor. But I was like, absolutely not. After, like, I started my L- the LPM program and I was like, nope, that's <laughs> It's a no for me. I feel like being a vet is one of those like dream jobs, like being a mm-hmm. firefighter, a policeman, mm-hmm. a dentist. It's like one of the things that like when you're a little kid, you're like, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be a vet. So I feel I was just curious, would you consider being a vet your dream job? Yes. So I was that little girl who um, I want to be a vet when I grow up. I want to be a vet when I grow up. But I think I had a stubbornness to me. Like, I just kind of, like, solidified it in my mind over and over. Like, the more I said, I want to be a vet, like, it kind of, like, stuck. And then, you know, high school comes around. I'm like, I want to be a vet. And then my dad's like, you can't be a vet. Like, you're going thousands of dollars into debt to make $60,000 a year. Like, you'll be miserable. And I'm like, no, I want to be a vet. And I had that, like, stubbornness to me to where nobody could change my mind. But then I let people talk like oh vet school so hard to get into you'll never get into vet school blah 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 so I started shifting to nursing and I was like okay it'll be easier to transition but then once I started nursing you know my dad saw how miserable I was and was like okay you know you used to be a little happy bundle of joy knowing you're going to be a vet and then as soon as you know you change that you looked miserable so you know I support you in whatever you do and as soon as he said that off to Virginia Tech I went to get my animal and poultry sciences you know, I made connections to try to, you know, help myself out as much as I could and getting into vet school, got into vet school and I'm here now. So that's crazy. That's yeah. pretty cool that you <laughs> wanted to do that for so long. I like what you said about how you just kept telling yourself that that's what you were going to do. And it yeah. almost like that's kind of what made it a reality for you. Yeah. Like, cause I mean, what else would I do? Like, I, I can't like, even now I like look at all these different careers. And I'm like, I, if I like, got out of vet med I have no idea what I would do like what what would I do be a librarian like I don't know I had asked you that when we went to dinner that I was like oh so if you had another career choice what would you choose and you're like I literally have no idea what I would do so that's funny especially because you say that it's not something that you might do for your whole life but you also have no idea what you could ever do other than this I know like I did like waitressing tables when I was in college so I mean maybe I'll just like you know, when I'm 40 or 50, if Hooters is still around, I'll so, apply there. <laughs> so you're telling me that you're going to leave, you're going to leave being, <laughs> being a vet because people are fucking assholes to being yeah. a server where people are fucking assholes. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's a different type of asshole. Like, For sure. Mentality. I don't know. Like, because it's not as, um, it's not as vulnerable. I yeah. Feel like. Yeah. And there, there's not a third party involved. Like if somebody is an asshole to me, at, like if I'm working at Hooters or something, I can just pour a drink on them and get fired. Yeah, there you and go. go. about my way. And just, you know, <laughs> that's that. But, you know, that's a lot different. I can't just, you know, I can't look at somebody and be like, you're an asshole. Yeah, I mean, I probably could, but I'd probably get fired real quick. <laughs> what do you think it took mentally to achieve this goal? Since you've been working on it, sounds like for so long. It's. It takes a, a lot mentally. Like, you have to have confidence. And I like to say I don't have confidence, but there had to have been some sort of confidence in there to get me through this because, you know, late nights studying and, you know, there's so much material. You know, like, vets go to school four years and then they can go out and practice. Doctors go to school four years and then they go specialize. They space out what they learn. Um, they only have to learn about one species, and that's the human. And then they go out and they specialize and they kind of narrow in. And so they learn more after they graduate. We have to learn about multiple species 
five, we have to learn about pigs, cows, horses, dogs, and cats, and Holy then shit. chickens on top of that. But that's not what we're tested on at the end, like for our boards. So that has nothing to do with the poultry science. So no, that was before vet school. Okay. Yeah. So that was just the degree that Virginia Tech offered. We have to learn about all these different species. Like you know, dogs can handle certain medications that cats can't. You know, horses can't handle some medications that other things can. So we have to learn about all these different species and we're cramming it. Like, you know, we get two weeks of learning and then we take an exam. So we have to cram all that knowledge, you know, tons and tons of information and then go take a test on it. So you're studying, you know, you're going to school, you're going to class, you're going to lab, then you're going home, maybe eating, then you're studying (laughs) until one in the morning and then you're getting up at 6 a.m. to go repeat. And it's just a lot of work that I didn't, you know, I kind of compared, you know, undergrad. So I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can do vet school. I had no idea that it was going to be undergrad on steroids and energy drinks. Like it was just a lot more. And so, you know, I think you have to have resiliency. I think you have to have stamina. You have to have like, I wouldn't say, you know, a strong mental health because a lot of people didn't, but you have to be able to, you know, notice when things aren't when your mental health is like declining and you have to know when to get help like you can't just ignore it Mm -hmm. like and I know a lot of vets and doctors are stubborn when they have you know something wrong they like to ignore it because you know we're doctors we don't need like we don't need another doctor but no we do like we absolutely do need other doctors and we need therapists and we need you know support so and then as soon as you get out you have to like completely reevaluate yourself to take on you know vet med as a doctor would you do it again yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like to say, no, I wouldn't do it again, but I, I would um, 100%. I may, I may do it a little bit differently. I may form friendships a little bit differently. I may not do some of the things I did, and then I might do some things I didn't do, but I would, I would do it again. What would you tell people that want to get into this field or that even want to pursue their dream job? This... I think you need to get as much experience in the field as possible before, you know, starting the career. Because once you're a second year in vet school and you decide, oh, I can't do this, you know, you're already in debt, you're, you know, wasted two years and you've got to restart. It's, that's, you know, detrimental to your mental health. But, you know, when you're 15 in high school and you want to be a vet, go, go work at a vet clinic, be a kennel technician, be a vet assistant, you know, volunteer, shadow. There's a lot of vets, even myself included, that if, you know, a 15-year-old came up to me and was like, I want to go to vet school, I would take them under my wing in a heartbeat, and I would show them, you know, everything about vet med, not just the, oh, we get to play with puppies and kittens, you know. I would show them, you know, the sad side of vet med, just so you get a well-rounded picture of what vet med really is. If you want to do something, and it's going to take a long time to get to that career path and take a lot of, you know, schooling and a lot of effort get a good idea of what it is now don't just rely on you know articles like oh you're a vet you get to play with puppies no get in there see what's going on like see it for yourself and kind of get a good idea of what you're getting yourself into I feel like that's the best way to learn for anything like you don't fully know until you actually experience it so that's definitely makes sense yeah (laughs) yeah so on Wellish I try to really focus on progress instead of perfection Mm -hmm. do you feel and I think I know your answer but do you feel like you struggle with perfectionism yes Um, so (laughs) that that goes back to um imposter syndrome like which we'll get into as well okay I have to I'm so scared to mess up like I'm scared that you know I get a dog with wonky blood work so I go to my computer or my book and I look up every possible thing that could cause that blood work to be that way because I don't want to miss anything that could result in an animal dying. Um, I had a patient come in on a Wednesday one time who was just not acting right, was acting okay, but just kind of off. Um, and the only thing wrong with the blood work was its liver values were slightly elevated. So my mind goes to, okay, maybe it got into something because the owner said, oh, she's doing better. Um, so I was like, okay, well, let's, you know, do some fluids, kind of like see what that does. Um, and then, you know, we can do radiographs. We can do X, 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 and X. And she didn't want to do that. She just, you know, she was like, well, she's getting better. So I just want to take her home. And so I was like, okay. Um, she took her home. This was a Wednesday. That Friday, she calls back. She's like, my dog doesn't want to get out of bed. She doesn't want to, like, go outside. And I was like, can you send me a video? She sends me a video, and this dog is comatose, like, 
absolutely comatose. I'm like, you need to get to an emergency vet right now. Um, and then she got to the emergency vet and the dog died at the emergency vet. So that killed me because I was like, you know, going back to that perfectionism, what did I miss? Like, what did I not do that I should have done? I was combing through this dog's record just to see if there was any possible thing that I possibly could have missed. And I was just going over and over and over. And my boss finally had to come up to me and say, you know what, like, you've got to stop. You're just going to kill yourself if you keep thinking that you did something wrong here. He was like, the owner didn't want to go through with diagnostics. There was nothing more you could do. But it was hard to, like, kind of accept that, you know, because the perfectionist in me, you know, I want to do the best. So I was, like, even, like, beating myself up, like, oh, if they had taken this pet to Dr. Pons, who's, like, one of my mentors, who's, like, I think is the greatest veterinarian in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, if they had taken it to Dr. Pons, the dog might not have died. So that's, like, a very dark thought for me to have as a veterinarian. But it goes, like, you know, I'm such a perfectionist, like, you know, I have to, like, everything has to be done right. Um, and it even goes with surgery when I was in vet school. Like, everything had to be perfect. Like, I had to, my ligatures had to be perfect. Like, my knots and, like, the vet that was over the clerkship, she was like, you know, you were too hard on yourself. You're way too hard on yourself, and you're going to end up, like, you know, really hurting yourself. So I've, I've been trying to, like, be better about that. But then, like, cases like that where, you know, the dog dies, and I don't know why. Like, mm-hmm. I still, to this day can't figure out why this dog just died because especially considering the owner said it was getting better and then it just took a turn like I like I've got tons of differentials in my head but I just can't narrow it down because I can't do diagnostics Mm -hmm. so what do you do to try to combat the perfectionism I just honestly my boss is great because he kind of just like he sits me down he's like you know you're a good vet like Believe it or not, (laughs) believe yeah, validation. Like you're a good vet, and you know, everybody makes mistakes, and you're not always gonna have the answers. Like thing, nobody in the world is ever gonna have the answer for anything, and that's something you kind of have to like accept. That's something I am trying to accept, but that's what the beauty of you know my job is. I have three other vets with me who I can bounce stuff off of, like bounce ideas off of. So if I don't have the answer, they might. So that kind of takes the pressure off of me that I have to know every single answer. What is the biggest mistake you've made, and how did you recover from it? Not educating clients as much as I could. Um, you know, I some days, like, I'm just tired, and these owners are like, yep, I don't want to be on prevention. I don't want to do this, this, and this. And I, you know, I say, okay, you know, this is the risks. And I feel like my mistake comes in, I should have hounded them more. Like, almost, like, I should have, you know, been that annoying person, but am I going to come across hateful if I try to, like, educate these people? And I don't want, you know, because I do work for corporate, like, they could just easily catcall and say she's, you know, bullying me into doing this. So I think I'm getting better about it now, like, wording-wise, but... So you think it just comes down to how you're wording things? Yeah, and my tone, Mm -hmm. because, you know, if somebody tells me I don't want to take care of my pet, on the inside, I'm just like... Fuck you. Yeah, just like, <laughs> I hate you. Like, get out of my face. But, like, on the outside, I have to be like, well, this is what we should do, blah, 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 like a nice voice. I was going to say, I feel like that just sounds like you're still being hard on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but luckily, I haven't made any mistakes, like, you know, detrimental to any pets yet. Right. Fingers crossed that that doesn't happen. But I, I am always scared that, you know, during surgery, I'm not going to tie a knot tight enough and the dog's going to, you know, have to be cut back open or even bleed out, like, I always have that in the back of my mind, like I'm going to mess up somehow. So I'll get back to you if that ever ever happens. (laughs) If that ever happens. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. You've brought it up several times and we talked about it when we went to dinner. We grow up and we enter these positions of like these big, like whether it's vet, whether you're in insurance, whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. And you're like, holy shit, like I'm the person that people call now what the hell like how did I get here so how has imposter syndrome affected you so when I was growing up I worked for a vet um Dr. Amber Melton I was a kid you know like 13 14 I wanted to be a vet and you know she was a vet I thought she was the smartest woman that ever walked this earth like she did no wrong in my eyes like she basically wore a superhero cape like 
she was amazing. Like, she knew everything. Like, she could do whatever, like, she set her mind to. I had a ferret. Um, my ferret got adrenals disease, which is a very common disease in ferrets. And she was like, you know what? I'll take the adrenal glands out. That'll help her. And this was the first time she had ever done that surgery. And she kicked ass at it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this woman is amazing. And so I thought that up until I, like, it's still to this day, I think she's the greatest thing that ever walked. But now that I'm in her position, I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. She didn't know everything. Like, <laughs> there's no way she knew everything. And I'm just like, she was in my position. She was just literally, you know, faking it until she made it. Like, you know, that confidence booster. It's just, she was also a scared little veterinarian who didn't have all the answers. And so it's like kind of, it's interesting to me to know how, like, you know, I viewed her and how, you know, maybe a 15-year-old views me. And then here I am now, like, wait a minute. It's just very interesting and like imposter syndrome you know it's basically like we don't think we should be here like I had to have done something to like cheat my way through and get through and like somehow scammed everybody to like be a vet when that's not true well so what triggers it then for you it's confidence it's you know being hard on yourself not thinking you can do it you know it's Mm -hmm. like a form of I think I'm a imposter I don't think I should really be here I think somebody messed up somebody messed up who gave me this doctorate degree because I don't think I should be here (laughs) but in reality I should not true yeah in reality I should be here and um it's just you know imposters don't have imposter syndrome you know so if I was a real imposter I wouldn't have the imposter syndrome oh yeah I love that yeah imposters don't have imposter syndrome yeah so that's uh something I have to tell myself I love that I'm gonna (laughs) use that for the rest of my life (laughs) um so do you think that it ever completely goes away? No. Yeah. Uh, talking to vets who are now, you know, 60 years old, they're like, it doesn't ever get better. You kind of <laughs> just have to, you know, talk talk yourself through and be like, this is fake. You shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, you have the ability to do whatever you put your mind to. You just have to believe in yourself. Um, and that's, you know, something you have to do through all the mental health deterioration that this profession brings you. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so just a little bit more of heavy questions. Mm. Um, I'm a little afraid to ask you just because of my severe love for animals. It's not that bad, but I hope it's not that bad. It depends on what you say. <laughs> but um, I know that we had discussed the importance of bringing to light some of the issues that people have with their pets, and I think that we've really done that. But people cannot conceptualize what they don't know and have no if they don't know how people are treating their animals or what is really out there there's never going to be a way to fix it Mm -hmm. so focusing on like the education what do you think the worst thing that you've experienced as your time as a vet has been so I had a dog come in that was basically pure scabs like the skin it was like bleeding it um, had, like, skin infection all over it. It was a really bad case of Demodex. Um, the puppy was so, mi- like, it was leaking fluids. Um, and the puppy was so miserable and itchy. Um, he had to bring it in in a tub because it was just getting, you know, pus and blood everywhere. And so I did a skin scrape, you know, confirmed Demodex. And uh, I was like, you know, this is a treatment, blah, 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 blah. He did pay for, you know, the first set of treatment. Um, but then I was like, you need to come back in two weeks to re-up the treatment, basically, because, you know, it's every two weeks. Um, and I do that just so I can recheck the dog, just see, you know, how we're going. Um, and then he never came back. Um, so I kind of didn't know what happened to the dog, and I would, like, try to call, you know, hey, just doing a wellness check. And then eventually he was just like, no, I, I took care of the dog. And, yeah. Like, yes. Mm. Yeah. Um, so he, instead of treating a very treatable, mm-hmm. you know, disease, he took it upon himself too. Mm-hmm. And I don't even want to think about how he did that, but he was just tired of me calling to check in on it, that he was basically like, you know, you don't have to worry about this anymore because it's taken care of. And that just shattered me. What are the most common ways people put themselves before their pet? I will have owners, you know, come in driving a brand new BMW, um, they'll have their nails done, their, you know, nice clothes. And then their dog will need like the bare minimum, like an antibiotic injection because it has, you know, 
some sort of infection and they'll be like, I can't really afford that today. So I'm like, you know, I'm looking at their BMW fob that has no scratches on it because it's brand new. And I'm looking at their nicely done nails and I'm like, okay, you can't afford this today. Okay. When on the inside, I'm like, go sell your BMW and go get your dog taken care of. (laughs) Like sell that BMW and go get a more affordable car and take care of your dog. Literally. But obviously I'm just like, okay, well, like if, like, you know, if you find the funds or if you can, you know, find a way to do this, it would be great for your dog. What are some common things people do that they may not realize they are doing that's not in their pet's best interest? Breeding them. I don't think people really understand how breeding works. Um, so there's a lot of things that go into breeding that people don't understand, like genetics. Um, I had a lady come with her chronic allergy pit bull who was intact. And I was like, are you planning on breeding this dog? She's like, not right now, but in the future. And this lady also doesn't want to pay for her dog to have any relief from his allergies. She just wants to do Zyrtec every day. So I was like, well, I do want you to know that this dog is a chronic allergy dog. It's likely that if he has chronic allergies, any offspring he produces will also have chronic allergies. So you're bringing in more chronic allergies into the world, into puppies. And she's like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think of that. And she says she understands and that she's not going to breed him, but she also doesn't want to book a neuter, so I don't know. Um, But, you know, a lot of people just, you know, see their dog. They're like, oh, my gosh, he's so cute, and he's the best little dog. They don't, like, take into consideration he's not a good breeding stock. It's backyard breeding. Mm -hmm. Um, They just Mm want to make a buck off their dog. They don't want to, you know, do everything the right way because that would be expensive. At what point are we breeding dogs just to get mutts that are already in the shelter? Right. Um, that's what you're doing. Like the shelters are overrun right now. They are just packed full. Like there's two German shepherds at the local shelter here that have until the 17th before they get euthanized. Hmm. Purebred German shepherds. But people are out here poorly breeding German shepherds who are going to have, you know, hip dysplasia. There are homeless animals right now. And every puppy that you breed puts that homeless animal in a plastic bag. Hmm. That it puts it in a black trash bag off to the dump. Um, and I don't think people really understand that. That was a powerful statement. I that. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I liked it, but yeah, you know it's, what I mean. it's sad. But it's I think like sometimes you just have to be really raw and upfront with people and really show them like you know this is the the reality of the it. reality of it. This is how nasty it can be. What is the line between spending a fortune on your animal and that's what you signed up for when you got a pet? Ooh, I think what you sign up for when you get a pet is preventative care like I think you sign up for all its vaccines I think you sign up for you know flea and tick prevention I think you sign up for you know dental care spaying and neutering um and then you start crossing a fine line when it's you know a dog has cancer and it can be taken out with oncology but it's going to cost you know five thousand dollars if you take out that cancer what's their prognosis is it going to be you know a couple more years then, you know, maybe do it. But if the prognosis is low, then, you know, you're doing this out of, like, you know, being the best of the best. So if, you know, you get a puppy and you do everything you can for that puppy, but then it gets to a point where, you know, it gets cancer, I'm not going to look at you and be like, well, you signed up for if it got cancer because, no, like, I understand that it's not in everybody's budget to drop, like, $6,000 for, you know, cancer treatment. But if it is blocked, you know, I actually, a few few weeks ago, I had an owner who had a dog who was straining to pee, and it was a male dog, so I was like, okay, and it was intact, and I was like, okay, something might be wrong with the prostate, it might have some stones, blah, blah, blah. So they were like, can you get this done before one, because we have, we have to go to the Panthers game. And I was like, your dog can't urinate. Like, he's having a hard time urinating. He could have a blockage. Like, this could be serious. And they were like, well... We'll do the radiographs, but we don't want to do blood work. And I was like, fine. So I didn't see any obvious blockage. So I was like, we can still do blood work, and I'll send home antibiotics and pain medication since you're in such a rush. Because she was like, can I bring him back tomorrow? I was like, well, your dog can't urinate. I was like, it's kind of, like, important that he gets fixed sooner rather than later. And she's like, okay, well, can you do whatever, like, to get Would him to Would you urinate? like to not be able to urinate while yeah. you're at the Panthers game? So then she uh, – comes and gets the dog I send home antibiotics and pain medications and you're not, I'm like you know come back tomorrow we'll reassess get to your Panthers game go Panthers she doesn't take home pain medication because the pain medication was 18 dollars 
and she didn't want to, you know, spend $18 on that pain medication. And I was like, you're about to go to a Panthers game and pay $18 for two beers, but you can't pay $18 for your dog who is in pain when he is urinating. That's disturbing. Disturbing to me. Like, I just, I don't know where people's heads are at sometimes. I'm just like, this is actually baffling to me. Right. (laughs) But that's the bare minimum. Like, that's what you get when you get a dog. You sign up for stuff like that. You sign up for, you know, he might have a UTI. Mm -hmm. And a a dog's UTI is more important than the Panthers game. Right. I'm sorry to all the Panthers that, you know, might hear this, but a dog's UTI (laughs) is more important than you going to a Panthers game. Even if you're going to be late. Like, Mm -hmm. I was working, like, nonstop because I had, like, 20 patients that day. You know, I'm, I'm trying, and I was, like, trying to do that patient as quickly as I could so they could get to the Panthers game, all for them not to take home pain medication. That's insane. That's yeah. insane that people's brain works like that. Yeah. And this is, that's exactly why I said I want to focus on the education because, yeah. it, like, I could never, again, as a person that loves pets, could never conceptualize acting like that. That is yeah. so crazy to me. Yeah. If, if my dog, you know, if he ate a bag of Tootsie Rolls and I was like, I'm dropping everything right now. Yeah. If, I was like, I can't come out tonight. I'm sorry. I've got to take my dog and make him throw up. And he was my <laughs> focus. And I was just like, I don't care what I'm missing right now because this is my child. Like, I'm going to do whatever it takes for my dog to get better. What kind of qualities would a person who should not have a pet or not have a pet at this time in their life have? I think everybody deserves the love of a pet. But I also think you have to be at a certain stage in your life to, you know, get the love of a pet if you're going through anything stressful where you can't focus on this pet um and you know give it the bare minimum of what it needs I think you should reevaluate and come back at a different time in your life you know if you're struggling financially um it's hard to pay the bills and you can't you know if something happened and you can't afford to drop four hundred dollars reevaluate and get a pet and I know that sucks because I feel like everybody should you know be able to experience the love of a pet but there are times in your life that aren't good to have that extra living being right there you know if you're going through a loss of a job don't get a pet don't get a pet Mm -hmm. because it's just you know more it takes money for pets and I think people don't really understand that and so you know when life gets hard, they want something to boost their, you know, happiness so they'll go get a dog mm-hmm. without realizing that it costs money. Pets bring us happiness, and it's not fair for pets to, you know, bring us all this happiness and us not be able to give them something in return. And what I imagine that being in return is, you know, basic medicine to make them, you know, healthy. If they're going to be there to make your life, you know, happier and brighter, then the least we could do is be there for them to make them, you know, have a good life too. When we went to dinner, I know you had said, I liked how you worded it. It was, um, we have these pets because we need them and they make us happy. So <laughs> the occasional times that they need something, we have to be there for them too. Yeah. Like they're, they're there for us. Like when we are at our lowest, like when we feel like we have nobody, pets will be right there, like by your side. Um, there's even been instances like, you know, you read the news and somebody's killed themselves and their dog like was laying beside of them. Mm-hmm. You know, pets are there for us, you know, unconditional love. Mm-hmm. They give us, you know, unconditional love. The least we could do for them is give them, you know, a healthy, happy, comfortable life and, you know, make them, you know, feel loved too. Like I know they probably don't think, oh, mom didn't take me to get my rabies shot. She probably hates me. No, <laughs> they don't think that. But, you know, when they are feeling sick and you take them and, you know, then they you start giving them medicine and they feel better, you know, they, they're not stupid. Like they know, like, you know, they, these humans helped me out. Like these humans make me feel better mm-hmm. type deal. Like it's the least we could do. For sure. Okay, so to wrap things up, I just wanted to ask you a couple fun questions. Okay. So what is the weirdest, coolest, most bizarre thing you've seen as a vet? We did an x-ray and there was literally like a long snake and then a shoe. (laughs) It was just hilarious. Yeah, and like honestly, foreign bodies, some of the things like animals swallow is hilarious. Like um, my when I was in high school, Amber had to take out a butt plug um, that a dog had swallowed. No way. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, it's it's gross, but dogs really smell the yeah. scents of humans, and like they love eating condoms. That's a really big um, foreign body. Uh, they love condoms, uh, and you know, a butt plug. I guess was on the list. Uh, on the list, appetizing. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, a delicacy. Um, what is your most proud moment? 
I, I think my most proud moment was my very first surgery that I did solo because I was like really hard on myself in vet school. Like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And then, you know, I get out in the real world and I'm like by myself, the only vet in the clinic and I do a surgery and it healed and it was fine. And I was like, oh, my gosh, am I a doctor? <laughs> am I like, God? I, did I just do this? Is it, <laughs> did anybody else see this? I just literally <laughs> cut this dog open, took something out and sewed it back up. Um, honestly, I, that was a feeling like I'll never forget. Like, I actually felt important. Like, I... Like I put on my white coat and I was like, oh, I deserve this. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was, awesome. That was like one of my like best moments. It's just like, wow, I, like I'm actually a doctor. What is something you used to value but no longer do? I think I used to value like my free time a lot more that I, and this is not, I'm not saying this is a good thing at all, but I used to like, you know, really value a day off or, you know, the weekends or Saturday night, like. You know, I was, saw my friend this past weekend, and, you know, uh, we were talking about how every Friday night I'd call him and be like, you going out? You going out? And that, that was just something I really loved, like, was being able to go out with him and, like, um, all my friends and, like, kind of hang out and enjoy life. And I really loved those nights, but now I just don't ever do that. Like, I just don't care. Like, I, I don't know if I've, like, grown up or what, but I just don't really care about it as much anymore. Am I growing up or am I, like, getting depressed? Like, what? <laughs> How do I figure this out? So, like, um, free time and social activities used to matter a lot more to me than they do now. Um, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> I'll let you know that, too. <laughs> okay, so last question. What is your perception of becoming your ideal self? My ideal self would be somebody who knows what to say at all times, kind of. Like, I would know, you know, exactly what to say and do, like, I wouldn't question myself. I wouldn't doubt myself. I would just be confident in my abilities and I would know exactly what to do. But like, if I look, like talk to 15 year old Liz, she would be so like proud of where I'm at right now. She'd be like, oh my gosh, look at you, you know your shit. So like, I think, you know, 10 years from now, I can look back and be like, you know, me now would be so proud of who I am 10 years in advance because, you know, I'm going to have all this experience under my belt. I'm going to have seen way more things. I'm going to have talked to way more people. I'm going to, you know, so I'll know what to say and I'll know what to do. And I won't be like, I'll still probably have like some imposter syndrome, but I'll be more confident in it. Or if I do have imposter syndrome, I'll know how to fake through the imposter (laughs) syndrome better. Um, So I think just, you know, my ideal self would just be more confidence, um, more experience, and just knowing her shit a little bit more. Not being afraid to actually know her shit and tell people that she knows her shit. Like, when people question me, I'll be like, no, don't question me. Like, <laughs> I, I know what I'm talking about, um, which is not something I have right now. Sweet. I really yeah. appreciate yeah. it so And much. I just want to, like, do want to say, like, you know, I kind of talked about bad, you know, pet ownership. But there are a lot of good pet owners out there. And you're not, like, ignored. Like, you are valued. Like, I love those owners more than I can, you know, even state owners who take care of their pets and do the most for them are valued. They're not, you know, you are seen. And, you know, I love those owners more than I can describe because they make my job, you know, what I went into vet med for, and that's to help animals. Like, you guys rock. You help us in our, like, dark times. Like, because when I have an owner who is just, like, do whatever it takes to take care of my animal, it's just a breath of fresh air because I'm able to do what I went to school for. So just putting that out there that we do love you guys a lot that's awesome (laughs) awesome thank you so much you're welcome